0: that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, But showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Would you join me as we pray? Father, we pray that you would work powerfully, you would demonstrate your saving, your reconciling power in our midst. We're a needy bunch. We come from all different places with all different fears and all different hopes and stories. Lord, speak to us. Make yourself known to us. In Christ's name, amen. Several years ago, we were, I don't know, 10 years into the church plant, and a group of women, single women in their 30s, asked if I would meet with them, and they wanted to talk a little bit about just basically um, longing to be married, dealing with stage in life, the difficulty of that. And it was hosted by uh, an older single woman who was in her 40s at the time, later 40s, And uh, so we showed up there, had some refreshments, and then the topic came up and they shared what was on their heart. um, And then it was my turn to speak. And I, you know, um, did my best at bat. Uh, I talked about how, you know, God loved them, the way God saw them. Uh, I probably, you know, as a good Presbyterian, talked about God's sovereignty over their lives I'm sure I threw in uh, God, uh, Jesus being a husband, that sort of thing. And they I got done, and they smiled politely at me. And then they turned and asked this woman, uh, what's been your experience? And she then began to just, in this beautiful way, in her uh, experienced wisdom in theology, began to talk about, well, I've known God to be faithful to me in this way, in this way. He's... Cared for me at this time. He's provided for me at this time. And, if, and the tears were just flowing. And uh, I realized at that moment, um, I wasn't who God needed in that room. I think it was good that I was there. But that uh, me as an elder and a pastor wasn't that's not what God's ministry intended in that moment. Now, any humble servant of the Lord should not be surprised by that, right? That we are not everything that everybody needs. We've been looking at um, what it means, what it means to have mature, godly people help establish healthy churches, and that word health correlates with the phrase that's been in our passage for the last couple weeks, sound doctrine, means healthy truth, healthy belief, centered on Jesus Christ and his gospel, his teaching of the kingdom of God. All of this character change is rooted out of that, and we'll really see it next week that when it starts off by saying the grace of God has appeared. That's where Paul is driving. And last week, we looked at older men and younger men, and we also looked at the idea of bond servants and slaves, and now we turn our attention to uh, women. And what we find in this, uh, clearly, that when God intended healthy churches to be established, non-ordained men and women are essential to that happening. Essential. There cannot be healthy churches of Christ only with ordained leadership. The Bible would call it the priesthood of all believers. And after having turned his attention to that application to men, he now turns it to the women in the congregation. Whether you're a man or a woman, and the idea of being a leader and a servant in a church, and our, our, well, I'll get to that in a second, I think the question comes up, and I've found this over and over, it's it's not often the case that we have lay people that are overly presumptuous about their ability to mentor and disciple. It's not, you know, hey, have you reckoned with who I am? It's more, who am I? Who am I? Uh, This quote comes from an older, mature, godly woman. I find Paul's instruction intimidating. Who am I to presume authority or wisdom? My quote-unquote seasoned experience is fraught with mistakes, confusion, and general winging it. Surely mentoring or teaching or whatever Paul had in mind would be best accomplished by someone, anyone else but me. And I want to say to you, if you feel that way, especially because we're talking today to uh, the sisters in the congregation, if you feel that way, you're not alone. Because I feel that way all the time. Most pastors and elders I know feel that way. That insecurity besets all of us. And I think if we understand it in a more everyday relational way, we can enter in. It's not like jumping in 12-foot water you know we're kind of entering in Uh, susan hunt who's a leader in this denomination has said older an older woman willing to let a younger woman look into her life and learn from it that's what we're talking about and uh, that discipleship and mentorship can and should happen in lots of different ways maybe it's taking a walk Maybe it's getting some coffee, maybe it's praying, maybe it's reading a book, maybe it's if you're married and have kids, inviting them over to wrangle your kids with you. It's life together, right? That's what we hunger to see. That's what we learn. One of the guys that discipled me in my life, it never felt that way. But he has left an indelible mark on me. It was basically, he was just so free to hang out with me. He would just spontaneously say, hey, wanna drive two hours tomorrow and go to this small town in Massachusetts? I'm like, yeah, sure. I wanted to get time. Just being in the car seat next to him. And so I wanna put that out there as we begin to just work through for a few moments, this passage. First of all, through the lens of older women. Now you see the word likewise. Begins, And it's important to recognize that because Paul has just talked about the godly and mature way that uh, men ought to behave. And then he says, likewise, meaning that godly women have the same importance and standard. At our church, we understand that uh, lay men and lay women, non-ordained men and non-ordained women have the same access and delegated authority to ministry one, one for the other. Now, they might do that ministry differently based on the glory of their gender. But when he says likewise, he's including the women in this ministry. And overall, he's also, I think, you know, I, maybe I mentioned this last week, it is not easy to age in America. Because America is all about youth and beauty. It's all about that and these biblical passages actually recover and redeem honor and esteem to those that are aging in God's eyes and just as we would say no one race or ethnicity can give us a full view of the image of God the glory and beauty of God No one gender or even station or age of gender can do that. You find in scripture that God is regularly pointing us to whether it be Jesus saying you have to be like children or likening um, or God invoking the idea of young men or young women. That as he draws our attention to these things, it's because he's he's wanting to turn the diamond He's wanting to say there's a glory that you only see if you look at it through this lens. And that's the case for both men and women as they look at the diamond through femininity, older women, younger women. They have some examples of this in Scripture. Isaiah, where God likens himself in a feminine way. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. Or... Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget. Jesus expressed his desire for Israel by saying, uh, I'm like a mother hen who wants to gather its chicks, gather its children. And then the Apostle Paul in one of his letters to the Thessalonians says, We were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. In the book of Genesis, when God creates the man and the woman and he says I will he says to Adam, I will make a helper complimentary to you, that word helper is not mommy's little helper. That word helper refers to capital H, God, the helper of Israel. It's actually, in its root, a military strategy word. It's an idea of power and strategic with power. The larger point here is, through the glory of who God has made women in the ministry, we see God in a new way, in an essential way. So how does he then unpack this? And these lists aren't exhaustive. Remember what's beautiful, what I love about the Bible, especially the New Testament. All that thick theology comes in the form of what? Letters. 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 They're relational. So Paul is writing a letter, right, to churches in Crete, which we've already established for the last couple weeks, which was a notoriously corrupt place, a hard place to be, a violent place, a greedy place. And whenever you find that throughout history, you find that women had been exploited in that setting. And in general, in the Hellenistic world, life was hard for women married women who basically uh, were understood to be childbearing machines so they could bolster their husband's reputation. And so it it gives us a view of how radically dignifying both Jesus's words were, and the words that Paul is speaking here in that context, and as well their ministries Jesus' ministry, which was performed in the company of men and women on his team, and the Apostle Paul as well. Both were single. So what does he say about this ministry of these older women? The chief trait is reverence. Now that word reverence, the root of that word is to be priest-like. To be priest-like. Just like Old Testament priests were set apart for ministry... He's saying to the older women in the congregation, I want you to see yourself as set apart by Christ to do ministry. Peter, the Apostle Peter, would put it this way. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for his, God's own possession. Why? That we proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This applies to both the older and younger women. Because as we've said, you know, all of us are a stage ahead of somebody. You know, it's not just like, this only applies to women that are 55 and above. All of us are called to mentor and disciple the stage under us. And you know, people often don't need three stages ahead. I find when I talk to young parents, sometimes the question they ask are far better answered by someone one stage ahead. Because I'm not changing diapers. I'm not trying to get my kid to sleep. I'm trying to get a puppy to sleep, but I can't get a kid to sleep, right? That's not my stage right now. Now, I have raised two daughters in two cities. My wife and I have. And um, there's a lot of talk in our culture, and rightly so, about raising strong and confident daughters, strong and confident women. Um, and I think that gets bolstered in lots of ways, in equity, and you know, developing skills, and lots of different ways. But I, I don't know of anything more empowering than knowing that the God of the universe sees you as wholly blameless as a treasured possession, as a holy priest, as light in the Lord, as mercy and called by him by name. What in the world can the culture offer that even compares to that? Even if we do get it, we'll still be hungry for something more. This is what's bound up in this idea of reverence women seeing themselves in that way. Now he moves on to moderation, and this has been a theme with anybody he's talked to, right? Uh, And let me just say, the Bible fully affirms uh, the goodness of alcohol, and um, you know, the blessing of wine and the celebration of it, and you know, you'll find many verses, Jesus was a winemaker. Um, But alcohol can really snag you and dehumanize you i'm not telling you anything new Uh, all of us i shouldn't say that many of us probably have some experience in that but you can just simply open your eyes in the city and see the effects of that and so it's not surprising on crete where overindulgence was happening all the time, that Paul would say to the elders, don't be drunkards. And he would say to the older men, you need to be sober-minded. And he would say to the older women, you need to not have too much wine. I was reading a um, Washington Post article that came out in April. And um, you may have seen some of these stats, but over the years of the pandemic, Uh, alcohol-related deaths have gone up 25%. Staggering. And also, um, there has been a rise, 41% um, in women drinking, more than men. Actually, the stats, men went down, but women have risen to 41%. And uh, I thought the article, um, one, the article was saying for anybody and all of us it's easier to blur the lines, right? When your work is at home, right? It's easier to have a drink at home than it is at the office. But I thought this was insightful. COVID has been particularly hard on women with women dropping out of the workforce at greater numbers than men and family responsibilities falling predominantly on women. These were struggles felt too by the women in Crete. And and simply let me say to anybody, male or female, uh, this is not a struggle that you should feel ashamed about. Talk to somebody. God sets us free as we come out of dark into light. So the Apostle Paul seeks to see people free, not dehumanized, not vulnerable. And the women in the church then he mentioned slander. Now, the word for slander is diablos. You all know what that means. Devil. That's the word for slander. You know, the devil is known to be a liar, an accuser. He majors on making you feel falsely guilty. That's what he does. And slander basically does that. Right, slander is lifting someone up and, and wrongly accusing them and we do it to make ourselves feel better putting someone in a less charitable light in contrast to this Paul says I want you to teach what is good sound doctrine so there women are being called to teach the gospel and teach doctrine teaching to the younger women but then he adds a word that's different than teach train now train takes you somewhere else The word train means give instruction in wise behavior and good judgment. And that only comes life on life, right? That only comes with relationship. That sort of thing. In the Bible, wisdom in the Proverbs is the art of godly living. It's not PhDs. It's not constantly saying, you know, I'm going to read 50 books this year because if I do... I can tell people I read 50 books. I mean, if you love to read 50 books, great, but you know, maybe I've seen enough of that on Facebook to, to wonder. Um, and as another women leader says, uh, this training process requires that you, older women, be committed to being responsible, confrontive, and affirming in an ongoing relationship with a younger woman. No one likes to do that second one. Who likes to confront i hate confronting but i get paid and called to do it that means like i can't skate out of it right i've got to do it but all of us are called to do it the wounds of a friend are trusting and so it's got to be basically relationships that are life and life over the table right trust is gained that way but People see and learn things just through your life. This pressure that you've got to sit there and, uh, you know, spouse off great wisdom and doctrine or read through this book or know more than the person that you're discipling. I will tell you there's never been a time that I have sat with someone whether they were 18 years old or 55 years old in a counseling setting where I haven't come away from that having learned something. No surprise, the Holy Spirit's the counselor, right? It's not this idea that I've gotta be like one up on everybody, I open my life. And, uh, and sometimes, you, you know, one of the hardest things to do as you're uh, mentoring and discipling is living with the fact that you're feeling that you're not being effective because especially people in Washington D.C. wanna feel like I'm effective. I call it the idolatry of impact, right? And I've, I've said to you all before, I mean, pretty much the best of what I got, you get up here. And you might be like, well, that ain't much. But, you know, someone might ask to see me a couple times, you know, in a counseling session. And I think after the first one, they're sort of like, yeah, that's pretty much what he says up front. Not a whole lot else he adds, Right? But I do want to stop and say, um, we have been blessed in a community with these sort of women, and I, you know, I'm, I'm listening on the older side, even though I said the age and stage means so much. Meg and I, you know, have been so shaped by godly women in our lives. Uh, one of them, Pam Benton who invited, uh, basically pulled us into her world in seminary. And Meg reminded me, sometimes spending time with Pam meant, you know, she's like throwing an event, and you go over there and you help wash stuff. There it is. But man, learned so much. Or I think of the times that I've sat with uh, Keith and Patty, but Patty, and she's talked about Patty more, and it's talked about just parenting the children. Her emphasis on prayer, when I just felt like, man, is there hope here? I going to ever grow or uh, a dear godly older sister in my life uh, Jackie Griffith who's also on staff and some of you I know these names might not know Gene Baldwin's another one I had mentioned some of you may not know these names if you're new but I would see I, I know your head will nod some of you Cornelia Orr Right? watching her walk through the passing of Richard, Susie Austin. Susie is a fireball. I hope she'll come and visit sometime. Susie will say, I was a Girl Scout mom living in McLean and God broke my heart over the city. And she and her husband Stan just moved in. So, older women that have had huge impact in ministry, praise God. And their focus is to be... Uh, younger women you know we get some uh, and let me say the focus here it appears uh, Paul is focusing on younger married women and likely because that was the normative thing of the day but I think in Crete and this in part I think plays into the instruction of uh, their being present in their home was a couple verses ago, he said that false prophets were entering homes and families and upsetting whole households. So that may be why he sort of highlights that part of it. But there are a few things he says. Uh, They should be self-controlled. No surprise, that's been the dominant thing that he has said to every group, because Crete really struggles with self-control. Purity, similar thing is said to younger men, you should view women with absolute purity kind, and then the two that catch our attention, and especially uh, make modern people nervous, offended, upset, so I want to spend the remaining time just on that, working at home and submissive, okay? Um, Is the Bible teaching, is Paul teaching that women have to make their only vocation being married and being a mother at home? No, doesn't teach that. That's why I had Proverbs 31 read. Now, Proverbs 31 is not the ultimate lean in text, okay? It is basically the the description of an ideal woman. It mentions wife, but just an ideal woman is the idea. It's in the book of Proverbs, it's poetry. But in it, you find the ideal woman not only being faithful in her calling to husband or children, but it says that she's into textiles, she's into real estate. She buys and sells in commerce. She obviously has vocations and jobs that are outside of what we're talking just the home. So the scripture does not teach that that is the sole calling of a woman. Jesus' patron, Lydia, was a maker of fine linens, purple linens in that day, which was high end stuff. The Apostle Paul had certain professional women in his core, too. You find the New Testament talking about Priscilla and Aquila, a husband-wife team that were teaching and discipling. And so this was sort of the ministry. And uh, no doubt there is a unique and critical role that wives and mothers play in the role of growing husbands and children. Right? Critical role to that. And that, you know, I meant to say this last week too or afterward, I know the topic of fathers and mothers is difficult for some of us here because we can see the things that are listed and think this has actually been very painful, my relationship. I don't see that reflected in my parents. But there's many of us here, I think, could also testify that my mother's faithfulness and presence in my life made all the difference, was was foundational for me. And so that can't be let go of either. Now, what about the father? Let me just say this as a side. The father is an MIA. If you read the book of Proverbs, that is primarily the voice of the father, a father who is present in discipling his children, who's there in the home. When couples come to me and say, All right, we're both working and uh, we're about ready to have kids, what? And, and I'm like, Well, both of you have to die. Both have, you both have to die. But you'll both also serve and live. You just need, you know, love each other and figure out how you're going to do that. Do the Jesus thing. But some of this, too, is the view that. In the Christian faith, we understand families to be the building block of society. And that's not just like, hey, a traditional values comment. What do you find? Abraham, then tribes, then a nation. Families are the foundational social unit. So there's an importance there. Uh, One old theologian said, religion is hatched in families. This is why the devil goes after families and goes after marriages because of the pain that happens. Um, Theologian, and I forget where I took this from, but I I thought this was good. Without without loving, servant-minded, kind-hearted wives and mothers, there would be little to no community. Life would be a sterile incubator for heartless souls. This is what occurred during the worst days of Israel in the Old Testament. It is perhaps because of the contributions that only a woman can make that God raised up Deborah in the book of Judges to serve her people. As she herself explained, the villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose as a mother in Israel. Right? This power, Israel needed the mothering of God through Deborah. The book of Judges, you know, everything had fallen out. So, that's on the first issue, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying I'm gonna explain all your questions and please come talk to me afterward. But then the big uh, dirty word, right, submission. And we've, this isn't new, we've talked about this different times, so I'm not gonna try to repeat too much. But this is not the first group, younger women are not the only or first group that this word is applied to. Last week, I'd mentioned that uh, Peter instructs younger men, you need to submit, be submissive to elders. Right before, um, sorry, I lost my place there for a second. Right before the Apostle Paul does his biggest teaching in the New Testament on marriage, the book of Ephesians, this is what you find Paul instructing the entire community, okay? Remember, these words are for the entire community. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, giving thanks always and for everything. Lastly, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The Jesus community is a submitting community. I'm called to submit to you, you submit to me. Now, there are particular roles Particular circumstances where that gets applied and needs to, but basically it is the ethic, and it's a, it's an ugly word today because it's not understood in the person of Jesus. When you see the beauty of submission in the Son of God, who was equal to the Father in the Spirit in glory, the glorious Son of God, the infinite Son of God, with no end. When you see Him. Come in the form of flesh as someone you would just pass by as a nobody who serves his disciples, who is so lowly and humble that when he does something godlike, it shocks people. And at times they're like, hey, you know, the claims he's making, aren't you just like Joe's son? Because Jesus, though equal to the Father, freely, voluntarily, Submits out of love, and that is the same ethic. What doesn't submission mean? Submission does not mean violating your conscience, violating your dignity. It doesn't mean going against the commands of God, and of course, it doesn't mean enduring abuse or oppression. Those are foreign to the idea of the Bible, and I can't, there's no excuse for when the church has done those things and continues to do those things. I, I, it might be the most damaging thing that can be done, whether it's been the Catholic Church or the Protestant Church. But again, our tendency is to abuse, you know, our tendency is to throw out, right, the baby with the bathwater, so to speak. To throw out maybe something that is beautiful there that God is doing through Christ and those in his community. And so, Paul addresses that in different ways. There's submitting things, but he talks about it in the marriage context there. And I've mentioned before, you know, just as a personal, Meg and I have been at this for 30 years, trying to work this out. And I would say that, uh, as I said the first week, how does the husband work out his call before Christ? He's called to loving sacrifice, lay everything down, everything down, so that his bride will flourish, because what we're told in Ephesians is Christ laid everything down so that his bride, the church, could be spotless and holy and flourish. And as he's doing that, the wife responds with respectful empowerment, using her power and her freedom and her volunteer voluntary freedom to say I will support you I will build you up and when that is happening you know it's unscripted it's not something you find in the culture it's not something that can be replicated it's divine and it's supernatural and it's temporary because there ain't going to be marriage in heaven God is trying to To image something, as I said before, in all these relationships, he's imaging and doing something greater than the thing itself. And it's when the thing itself becomes the thing, that's when it gets abusive and ugly. When it becomes a me, you know, and in and of itself. And so, Paul is calling uh, this ministry on the side of women. And um, I think we'll just wrap it up there.